Okay. Welcome to Twisted and Misunderstood with me, your host, Dominic J. Zenden. On today's show, we've got a really fabulous guest. He's written many books. In fact, when I looked at the list of books that um, this person had written, I didn't count up the amount because there was that many. It is, it's huge. Um, but they cover all sorts of subjects from UFOs to human levitation, right the way across all the psychedelic, all the personal, all the paranormal stuff that you could ever imagine. So with this big build up, it's a big welcome to Twist of the Misunderstood for Preston Danette. Welcome, Preston. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Well, fabulous. Thank you for making time. I know that um, I'm talking to you from snowy England. It's, it's very cold here. And you look like you're in a lovely, warm, hot summer's place. So it's uh, it's quite a contrast just to see you there. <laughs> yeah it's a beautiful day. it's been cold here <laughs> don't worry i mean it's down to the 30s at night but right now it's a lovely day it's almost yeah. 70 degrees oh so. look in my dreams <laughs> in my dreams <laughs> yeah, yeah okay well that's it's lovely lovely for you to make the time so thank you and um i want to ask you so much i want to bring in so many subjects but the first thing i really want to talk about is your experience with art bell because you, ah. you did Midnight in the Desert. Now, Art Bell is one of my heroes. I, I must have listened to all his shows over, you know, five or six times each because of the subjects that he covered. And to me, he was a legend. He was a real icon of paranormal broadcasting. And there wasn't anything the man didn't cover. So how did you get to be on Midnight in the Desert, first of all, with Art? And um, what was your experience like with him? <laughs> yeah art's amazing i am a huge fan was for years and wanted to get on the show but just couldn't get on uh, finally i started having enough books out there and recommendations from listeners to the show that i got the amazing call it was about 10 years into my research really wow <laughs> so it wow. took quite a while for him to contact me which i understand Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, I know. No worries. <laughs> no, I know. It must have been a wow moment because it's it's one of those things where are you free to do my show? Is <laughs> oh. a, a, a really not the question, is it? It's like, <laughs> when can I be there to do your show? And um, I know how how great his um his catchment area was. Um, fans are still listening to his shows now. They're still there playing back and it's like he's immortal so it must yeah. have been a, a great experience to go and talk to him oh it was it was wonderful he's a very kind man yeah with the utmost respect and sincerity and uh i did i think the first show i did with him was about usos on it okay yes submerged yep and it went great you know there was a lot of wonderful feedback and he called me back twice more I spoke wow. to him about human levitation, actually. Right. Once about out-of-body experiences. Yep. Which quite frightened him. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, doing yeah. it. Uh, but yeah, I still get comments on those shows. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm but, not. Yeah, he's a real hero. Yeah, I'm not surprised. They're, they're fascinating subjects, and I, I've got them on the list to touch on because it's going to be knowing how much to cram in to this hour. <laughs> 
that we're going to be sort of running a little bit, I've been behind time a little bit if I don't get on and talk to you. So first of all, Preston, would you like to introduce yourself to all the twists, the misunderstood listeners, the ones that may not have come across your books and just tell them a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you're doing currently and how to find you. That'd be great. Yeah, sure. Thank I, you. I'm the fifth of six children, so a large family. And uh, my brothers and sisters and have all been very supportive of my research. Uh, I came into this very skeptical. It was when I was 21 years old, 1986, when I heard a report on the news about a sighting, a UFO sighting over Alaska. And that gave me the impetus, the courage to start asking people I knew. Because I remember my brother, Mark, my older brother, uh, said he'd seen a UFO. And I just kind of ignored him and laughed at him <laughs> uh, until I heard this news report. And he described this incredible sighting. And that's when I found out a lot of people I knew had had not only UFO encounters, but ghostly encounters and out-of-body experiences. And some had precognition, right. uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, we had a family friend who had a levitation experience. Okay. So this knocked me over destroyed my belief system. I had to reevaluate everything. And uh, over a space of a few years, I ended up buying every UFO book I could find, joining every UFO group, started doing ghost hunting, uh, started investigating out-of-body experiences. I mean, it just rolled out from there. Uh, I became a field investigator for MUFON. Uh, after about 10 years of writing articles for various magazines and journals and visiting conventions, I started, you know, I started going on the radio, speaking at conventions, going on TV. And after 10 years, I put out my first book. Uh, that was in 1996. <laughs> that was UFO Healings, yep. which I've now reissued because I've got so many more cases of people who've been healed. Okay. Uh, but yeah, now I've got 30 books <laughs> and counting. 30, yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's a lot of books. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Do you find it therapeutic to write? Do you just enjoy writing? Do you, or do you just do it because there's so much to get out? There's so much of interest out there. Oh, yeah. It's wonderfully therapeutic. It helps me because, <laughs> um, you know, I became obsessed with this. I had a lot of questions and to a, in a weird way, I write books for myself to help me understand yeah, <laughs> that yeah, makes yeah. any sense. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Even... I'm really happy when I'm writing. That's when I'm happiest, I think. So I know it's kind of what I'm meant to do. I really yeah. feel that. I think that's a common cause for us writers. You know, I mean, being a writer myself, um, shutting yourself away and just exploring different areas and looking at things and, and just finding the logical out of the fascinating and just seeing where the trail leads without any prejudgment is an amazing thing to be able to do. And I think I noticed that with your books, they're very down to earth, very um, thoughtful, very guided, very much um, as though you're talking through them. It's like a stream of consciousness that you write them from. So it's all about the subjects that you're going into, but they're very friendly. They're not at all, you know, what I look at as standoffish, you know, people that write books and they just write a list of facts. You write from your heart and from that consciousness that you have so easily. And I think that's what makes them so appealing to read. 
So, I mean, I just only started digging into a few, you know, just to have a look to see who I was talking to tonight. And, <laughs> you know, and, and it's one of those things that you you discover people every now and again that you're fascinated by because you've been fascinated by those subjects all your life too. And I think that's where that comes in, that sort of mutual respect for somebody who's just done all the things that are so interesting to talk about. I want to ask you about so many, but I first want you to give out your website so people can find you because they don't know where you are at this moment in time. So <laughs> if you could tell the twisted and misunderstood listeners just exactly how to get hold of you if they want to talk to you. Yeah, probably the easiest way is just punch my name in on the internet and it should take you to my website. But the actual address is prestondennett.weebly.com. And um, you can absolutely reach me through my website. My email is there. Okay. Excerpts of my books, but I'm all over social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to branch out from there. And my books are available on Amazon and other right. retailers, bookstores, of course. Yeah. I know people are going to be asking me, so I'm going to put all that stuff in the program notes at the end of the show, but I know that they're going to be fascinated and they won't know where to start. Because I didn't really know where to start. So I started off with your first book. It's um, UFOs and Aliens, which seems to be quite a, a contrast in itself because a UFO isn't necessarily an alien vessel. So where did that spring from? Was that the sighting over Alaska or the experiences you had whilst investigating that exciting experience? Uh, that was a book that I was actually contracted to write uh, as a work for hire. It's a, by a big publishing house, one of my you know, better strokes of luck, I should say. <laughs> Some of the books you know, I sent out to 40 or 50 publishers and got rejected. Yeah. Um, but after I've been in the field for a while, yeah, I had people coming to me. And that's a, a real sort of primer, I guess, of a basic book for someone who's new to the field. And it covers the entire gamut of sightings and face-to-face -face encounters, landings, onboard experiences, crash retrieval accounts, conspiracies, a few of the hoaxes, because that is a part of this field. Of course. Photographic evidence. Uh, so that was a fun book to write. It's got a lot of illustrations and pictures in it. Yep. Which I yep. always yep. enjoy and when I'm reading books, so... Yeah, sure. And to, 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 it brings a little bit of understanding to the book. And I've been reading books on UFO encounters since I was six years old. Wow. Right. Yeah. I used to go and buy them from secondhand shops rather than read comics. I've been that interested in the phenomenon for over 60 years. And it's really an interesting part to discover what people are saying and how those things collide. And how sometimes they don't collide, you know, just seeing what people's experiences are. And some of the things that I was reading as a child are still mysteries today because we don't really know what this phenomenon is. We can speculate and we can have opinions. And this is something that I really want to ask you about. Is <laughs> Okay. And I know it's, it's an open question, Preston. It's not one of these questions that... There's going to be a one definitive answer, but what is going on? Why are we seeing all this stuff? Yeah, what's what's happening to our planet at this time? Oh, I have opinions. <laughs> you bet I do. <laughs> Brilliant! I love that. <laughs> right, you you oh. give me those opinions. I I, I want to hear them honestly. 
I mean, it's my assessment, and I think this is really backed up by the evidence that we are dealing with extraterrestrials in the classic sense. People like us, biological beings okay. from other star systems. I think that's by far the most popular. I hate to even call it a theory, but I will for argument's sake. Uh, but I honestly think the evidence is there uh, and that we have enough of it to conclude that this is precisely what we're dealing with. In most cases, I think a lot of stuff does get put under the UFO umbrella that perhaps doesn't belong there because there's a lot going on in terms of paranormal and entities. Yes. Everything from ghosts and angels and dark spirits and Bigfoot. Well, we'll come, we'll come to those. Yeah, we, I've got a list. Believe me, I, I know we're going to come to that stuff. Yeah. I want to ask you about particular incidents and i you I mean you're well versed in in different incidents i know that you've made it a real life study for the things that have happened i've always been fascinated by charles hall uh, you know the guy that used to work as a meteorologist in the um u.s army in the desert um what do you think about charles hall and the tall whites what is your opinion on that particular quite strange case but almost fascinatingly wonderful to explore what do you think about charles hall yeah millennial hospitality i read his i think there's four books it's four and, uh, yep I, I did see him speak and i can tell you he seemed utterly sincere uh a little bit gun shy i guess you might put it uh, about stepping forward as a lot of people who have these experiences are uh he seems truthful to me he did publish his books as quote semi-fictional but I think if you read them, you'll see that there's, you know, truth there. Uh, I suspect he did have these encounters as he describes them. Obviously, I can't prove that. I didn't hang out with him and interview him and study his case in any real depth. But it certainly matches up with a lot of what other people say uh, in terms of, you know, whistleblower accounts. Yes, of course. He was a, a military officer. He was a meteorologist, wasn't he? Um, working on the weather station there. And the interesting thing about Charles Hall was that he documented these tall whites that he said that he was on the station with. And that the interesting part about the tall whites were they actually brought their children with them. They didn't just have their... their, their you, you'd imagine that aliens, if they're going to travel interplanetary, interstellar, that they would just um, come out, build bases and not really have their family groups. And to me, it was quite reassuring that these tall whites were actually traveling with family members. And it almost stood out as something really different to all the other UFO encounters that I've actually talked to people about or investigated. Yeah, it was something really quite unique, wasn't it? So, I mean, what did you think about some of the claims he made about the tall whites, how they were very um, often going to Vegas to go into the gambling halls or they would go shopping and dress up and, and just disguise themselves? You know, in your experience of dealing with alien phenomenon, you know, do you believe you know the alien races are interacting with us on that sort of daily basis? Oh yeah, yeah. I think there's a tendency to dehumanize ETs. I mean, we call them aliens. They're not. They're people. They're people like us with families. And yeah, I do remember his descriptions of these ETs interacting and mingling in society, casinos, 
I looked into that because I actually found a number of cases of ETs, not only at casinos, but definitely there, but all over the place, restaurants, hotels, gas stations, bus stations, uh, convenience stores, schools, certainly. I wrote a whole book on uh, schoolyard encounters. Let me hear more. Can you give me some particular cases that were very interesting to write about? You know, some of the ones that stand out in your mind. Oh, in terms of the schoolyard encounters? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was so surprising to me. Uh, I think everyone who's in this field has probably heard of the Rua Zimbabwe case at Ariel Elementary School. Yes. A really well-known case where UFOs landed next to this elementary school in 1994. I was quite struck by that case, which is very well verified, very widely viewed. And I instantly thought of several others that were very much like that one. Yes. The Melbourne case, yep. Uh, yep. Westall High School. That's right. Yeah, that was a very one. famous case as well, wasn't it? Yeah. There was a, one in Broadhaven, Wales, Broadhaven Elementary School, primary yes. school. Yeah. Why do you think they would do that? Why do you think they would make themselves very much visible in those environments? I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, children are very non-judgmental. They are not, uh, well, how would I put it? No, they're not bogged down or <laughs> trying to find the right word. Uh, they're not, you know, oh, clouded, clouded up with all the societal stuff. Uh, yeah. They don't interpret things through a belief system. They're very good observers, actually, great learners. They soak up things like a sponge. So I think that they make excellent, they provide an excellent opportunity for ETs to come down and basically introduce themselves, which I think is one of their agendas, if you will, uh, is to basically introduce humanity to their presence without causing too much upset. Uh, Ooh, and that's... children often being seen and not heard or not taken fully seriously yes uh, it's a really clever way i think to basically say hi we're real and uh because all these kids who, who have had this experience talk about this and they said they remember it as vivid as if it was yesterday uh, it's had a profound impact on their life and these are very um i mean this is all across the planet i've got many cases in england canada all across the U.S., all through Europe, Africa, Australia, New Zealand, South they're, America, absolutely. They're Russia, so China. common, aren't they? They're such common occurrences. There must be a it must be a deliberate action 100%. to be able to do this. But it also makes me think: Well, if they're doing this deliberately, why aren't they just appearing in front of Buckingham Palace? You know, I know they appeared above the White House in 1947, and there was lots of to do about the the White House UFO instances. But you know, I mean, you like remember the film "The Day the Wolves Stood Still," where the right. where the UFO came down and the the Martian came out and started to to talk and interact in a very human way. Why aren't we presently aware of that sort of encounter more often than this? these massive occasions where they stop at schools or elementary schools to actually show themselves, and then they vanish, they disappear until they do it again? Why is there no consistency in these appearances? 
well, I think the schoolyard encounters are very consistent, actually. But I, I see exactly what you're saying. They did, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the 1952 setting over uh, the White House here in the U.S. Because I think that's a good example of the cliche. Why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, they very nearly did. And our response was not good. We chased after them with jets. Uh, we have not given them a great welcome. And I think that's part of the problem here. Okay. Because, so, I mean, they have hovered over the United Nations building. They well, do hover over major city centers and show themselves. France had an enormous wave of sightings in 1954, landings. I mean, they blanketed the country and made it very clear to everyone that this was a real phenomenon. Uh, but overall, I don't think we're quite ready uh, until we stop killing each other in large numbers, uh, until we stop lying, cheating, stealing, and doing all these really unethical things. Uh, we're really not ready to welcome. I, I agree. But it brings me to a next sort of logical question is, are they all friendly? Are some hostile, some not hostile? You know I mean, would it be that there are some alien races out there because the universe is going to be full of life? You know, if it's not full of life, we're a miracle, aren't we? As a planet, if it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're outstanding, aren't sense. we? Yeah, <laughs> really is the old one. But if it is the case that there are many different forms of life in our universe or multiverse are they all the same are they all placid you know are they all non-aggressive you know are there some aggressive ones are there some aliens out there with their own agendas or is that just a myth carried over by hollywood in the movies uh yeah i think the media is very fear-based and I think we do have governments that are absolutely lying about this phenomena and pushing forth an alien threat narrative that is not supported by the evidence. Let me put it this way. Yeah, there is a hostile alien species and it is us. <laughs> we as humans, I think, are a good example of host hostility and negativity. But the ETs that are visiting us are not hostile. The evidence does not support this. Categorically. Categorically. Okay. It's a wide universe. I'm not going to say that there aren't other people like us here on Earth on other planets. I, I suspect there are. Uh, but like us, they don't have the ability to travel to other star systems. And okay. a, a species that has the ability to traverse the universe has, I believe, reached that point of moral, ethical maturity where they don't need to come to another planet and wreak havoc or, you know, eat us for lunch, as is sometimes put forth. Uh, it makes zero sense. If they were truly hostile, we would know it by now. Uh, there is disinformation, misinformation. There are what I would call my labs. And that's not my term, but military abductions where baked negative experiences are put forth. But if you look at what actually happens to people who have contact, while there is often initially some trauma involved with it, uh, because we are very fear-based, you will see that it is absolutely a benevolent experience. People are taken on board and examined and healed. I have cases from every country, almost every country, uh, and every major researcher out there, almost without exception, has these cases. 
Timothy Good, Philip Mantle, Michael Hesseman, Barbara Lamb, John Mack, Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs, Edith Fiore. I mean, I could go on. Uh, healing is a major ET agenda, a major ET activity. And it goes well beyond that. When someone's taken on board, they're often given messages. And it's for our benefit, clearly, because they're talking about the dangers of greed and corruption, of warfare and violence, of nuclear proliferation, of pollution. And they're very much intent on trying to wake us up to our ET heritage, the fact that we're all one, we are related to them, that we do have abilities that we're not only beginning to understand in terms of telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, astral projection, healing, remote viewing, all of these things, which are part and parcel of being human, of being an entity. Uh, so by and large, I think the ETs are not only advanced technologically, but morally, ethically, and psychically, spiritually. Do you think aliens have souls? Oh, yeah, 100%. All why? entities have why, souls. Why 100%? Uh, because this is what the reports from contactees are telling us. You know, I've interviewed a lot of people, hundreds, and every now and then I run across someone who's got a real good handle on it, because a lot of people have fear, a lot sure. of people are missing time, a lot of people have to use hypnosis, but occasionally I run across someone who's comfortable with contact, who's overcome their fear. Just recently, I put out a book this year called Symmetry, a true UFO adventure, and this is about a lady by the name of Dolly Safran. And boy, was I blessed to find her. Well, she found me. Actually. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but she described all, I mean, we go into this in depth in the book that uh, we put out together. And that's and called, the book, the book is called, Preston? Yeah, the book is called Symmetry. Symmetry, just so the listeners can, because if that's the latest book that you've actually put out into the you know, the ether for people to accept, that might be a really good starting point because this sounds like a really interesting story. Really yeah, interesting. It's probably, you know, I've written 30 books and I think that's my favorite. I mean, Is it? I ones that are yeah. very special to me, but that was right at the top of the list. How did she, you know, without spoiling the, the story so much for people going to read the book, how did it affect her? How did she come out of the experience at the end of it? Oh, she, um, all much for the better. They have healed her. They have taught her not only sciences, but psychic abilities. Uh, it's been a difficult life because it is in some respects isolating to have this experience. She did keep quiet for most of her life uh, because of you know the problems with ridicule and skepticism and debunking and misinformation. Uh, but initially it was quite difficult for her to try to figure out what was going on. Ooh. But at age 14, she had had enough. <laughs> she, she wanted to remember and she, using sheer willpower and determination uh, the next time she had contact, she fully woke up to it, agreed to cooperate and learn from them, and started a relationship that's been lifelong. It's an extraordinary story, the most extensive I've ever heard. She's benefited, benefited greatly, as have, I think, the vast majority of people who do have contact. Okay. Uh, Okay. I know that there are people out there who are like, no, no, I don't like this. I'm scared. I wish it would stop. I'm not going to discount that. 
but I can tell you that 90%, 95% at some point realize, oh my gosh, I am very blessed to have these experiences. And she's absolutely has a lot to say about that. Okay. I think that sounds very interesting. And I will leave it to the listeners to find that book and to read it because I'm sure that they will engage with the truth that is wrapped up within it. Because when you read a book like that, you've got an objective that you want to read it because you want to share in the experience of the person and of the author, because it's an experience for the author to write that book. But it's also, what does it mean? What is the profound implications that this book is there and this lady's had these experiences? So they're very open questions that come out from something like that, isn't there? It's not something that is there to say, this is exactly how it is. This is exactly how it's happened. This is someone who's documenting in a life story, a book about contact with aliens. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, hers is a great case. She's got photographic evidence, medical evidence, corroborating witnesses. Uh, as most uh, witnesses do, they have all kinds of evidence to support their story. It's often shunted aside and there's a big danger of ridicule. I still have people that I interview say, please don't use my name. <laughs> um, Dolly initially said, said, please don't use my name. And as her story, you know, is approaching publication i um asked her again i'm like okay i I mean i didn't ask her to use her name but she offered and then i talked to her about it i'm like are you sure yeah sure says, you know once your name's out there it's out there and she said no no it's time it's time wow. but i think most contactees at some point really feel it's important that this information get out there Oh, uh, I don't, yeah, is, I, yeah, I sort of agree and disagree. You know, I, I sort of come at it where I can see why people would want to actually give it to somebody who would treat it with respect and dignity and honesty. And then I can also see why people would not want that released because it's, I respect it's, that. Yeah. it's both sides, isn't it? Because I think it's a huge trust thing when you tell your story because that's a story that you've kept hidden for probably 40, 50 years, and nobody knows. It's often a big secret to a lot of people that have gone through this. And when that secret's out, that's not putting it back in. That genie's out the bottle. Yes, and but that, you shouldn't have to keep this secret. And I'm very upset with how our governments have handled this situation. They have lied from the beginning, and it's been utterly oh. disingenuous. Why? Why do you think they lie? Why do you think there's not full disclosure? Our governments have never had our best interests in mind. I hate to say it, but the more I research this, and it goes way beyond just UFOs, but I'll limit it to UFOs. Uh, no, they no. Let's spread it out, Preston. Let's let's widen the <laughs> subject. I'm 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 full. I'm really interested in the whole thing of why do they deny people? the right to understand, for instance, about the Sasquatch or the aliens or other particular phenomenon that's out there, you know, things like time slips, you know, why are they denying them? Because they're clear and obvious. They're there right in front of us. I've done so much research in these areas and I've written about them in quite full extents and they're there. People experience these things. So why deny them? Why blatantly deny something that is so obviously there? 
I think there's a lot of reasons. I think we're dealing with people who are pathological <laughs> mentally. I hate to say it, but a lot of these, I think we have a lot of problems on our planet. Unequal distribution of wealth uh, is something that should not be. And we have people in power who are sick with greed, with power, uh, with corruption. It's absolutely a horrific situation. And they have been lying about the UFO presence on our planet for decades and have been treating people so poorly. I would point to the soldiers in our military who were irradiated, whose health was destroyed. I would point to people who were sterilized against their will, against their knowledge, people who were given hallucinogenics, uh, again, like just being experimented on. Uh, this is the situation we're dealing with. These are the people, the one percenters, the military industrial complex, some people who are very high uh, up in terms of a military industrial complex. Uh, you can call them what you want, the cabal, the power elite, uh, but they do not have our best interests in mind. They are ego-driven, selfish, and frankly evil. Uh, they have zero morals and are treating people as slaves, chattel, property. Okay. okay. I've got, you know, having, I've written seven books myself, person nowhere near the volume that you've written. But in my research, and when I've worked it out, what I've come to is a thought and see how this compares to where you are. I think the reason we don't get disclosure is because of, dis um, because of comparison. If we have someone or something to compare our world to, that isn't our world, then we can see where our world is in comparison to other planets or other civilizations. And then we can start to figure out that we are a lot older. The Earth has been here a lot more years than what we've been told. It's had a lot more civilizations on than what we've been told. There's been other forms, for instance, like with Tesla talking about free electricity. It's, it's part of the universal energy grid that's actually there for everybody. And these things all come down to greed, but it's comparison. If we knew definitely there was other civilizations like our own that were living poverty-free, war free without the need to worry about medicines and you know all the things that we are confined into in our financial monetary system then we would actually start to see that the other systems that there are on other planets are so much more beneficial for growth and for development than what our planet is so i really believe and i've come to a real strong sort of understanding that it's because if we made comparisons to them we would not want to be living on this particular planet right now not in the way that we do you know what what do you think about that that's beautifully put i absolutely love it 100 percent agree i think you've hit the nail right on the head <laughs> That is the driving force behind the cover-up. It would absolutely only ET threat is to the power elites control over the masses. And they know that once we realize that there are other advanced civilizations out there, that we have friends out there, it will completely destroy their power over us. Hundred. I mean, you put that 
better than I ever could. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate the compliment. I, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in the whole complex situation that really is very simple. It is, it's not, it's not complex. When you look into it, there's only one reason and the denial is there because of that. And when you see that and you understand that, then you can open up to the possibilities of alien races being here and actually living amongst us. Um, That's why I'm so infuriated about our government putting forth this ET threat narrative. I will but, not have it. It's not true. It's <laughs> not supported by the evidence. It just isn't. No. It depends who presents the evidence, doesn't it? Yeah, well, people lie. That's the real problem. <laughs> I, A lot of cases are just not true. And there are researchers who I, frankly, do not trust. I believe they're agents, honestly. Sure. Sure, it's disinformation. It always has been ever since Project Blue Book and the Mastic um, Treaties and all the signs and everything that's gone on with Majestic actually shows that in huge amounts, that the disinformation alongside the, the real information and even the cases they let out to the public, like um, the guy in Canada who got taken up in the, in the forest, um, I can't remember his name right, Travis Walton, him um, and Betty and Barney Hill and all the other things, they're all situations that you see set up for certain ridicule to be brought into and actually non-accountability within that situation. So the situations that aren't presented to us, the ones that we experience, like the lady that you just quoted in the book, the, the thing is those situations are not public domain. Not until someone like you comes along and writes a book about them or somebody decides to take their courage in their hands and risk the ridicule. That is where we're going to be. We're going to be stuck within that same 1950s exposure of what UFOs are. The day the world stood still is exactly what it is. And it's never going to be integrated into our culture until we're allowed to. And, and the greed and the comparisons are going to stop us doing that. Yeah. So, and I think that's why contact is so widespread, why they're reaching out to so many people. It's not just a couple of thousand. We're talking millions. Yeah. Th this is the bit that I really, because what started me on that journey of looking into this stuff was the fact that. I always saw people that had contact that were actually in the press as people that were uneducated or people that had, yeah. yeah. And it showed me, it was so ill-balanced that it showed me that this wasn't going to be the case. This wasn't going to be the case. It was just going to be the stuff that they showed us in the spotlight. The stuff that wasn't in the spotlight was full of educated men like Kofi Annu, you know, the um, United Nations minister who saw the UFO in New York City that night. And those sort of things, and that lady levitating out of a building right across into, into a spaceship, those things are what we want to find. And those evidence of those things happening with witnesses experiencing them are the things that really show us there are so many things happening that we should just relax and we shouldn't be afraid of. Because that's the bit that people, when they get afraid, they then start to look for protection. And who do they turn to for protection? Against the people that are the most dangerous to turn to for that protection. So I, I see the ironic, I see the, the situation, <laughs> I see it set up. But I also know in this world that we are, we can, only, we can push, we can keep 
pushing away, chipping away at the boulders. And they will crack and it will happen and people will start to do it. But all we can do is make people aware. And that's what you do with your books. It's what I do with my conferences and my teachings. But we have an obligation to tell people and then they can make their own minds up. Okay. I want to talk to you about other things, Preston. Yeah, I, I, we're, we're going to have to come back for a serialization because you know I, I could talk to you about lots of different things. And when I looked for your book of um, your list of books, and I saw human levitation, very interested in consciousness, out of body experiences, human levitation, um, thought, thought. You know the way that thought travels, the way that consciousness is a big part of who we are that we've not even tapped into as as such um ingle swan was the first one that i really came across with remote viewing when he started setting out the the aspects for being able to figure out where coordinates were and that he could go anywhere and his claims were he could go anywhere in the universe as long as he had coordinates it was that sort of thing that got me thinking about what is a human what are we and you know, what do you conclude when you start thinking about the the possibilities of what we are and what we're capable of doing? What does it make us? What what do you think we are? Yeah, we are an entity. We are inviolable. We are eternal. Um, it is a wonderful, wonderful gift to be conscious, aware, and an entity. And that's what we are. We have unlimited possibilities. Uh, we cannot be destroyed. We incarnate over and over again. We're constantly growing and learning. And uh, we have so many more abilities, I think, than we recognize or are even aware of, largely because, you know, there's a big concerted effort to sort of tamp down our abilities. Can you imagine what it was like, would be like if everyone became telepathic? lies would end that it would be a thing of the past no more corruption but we do have the ability to levitate we do yeah i know i know one of my aims right i've i'm i'm a little bit different to many people um i've been different since i was a child i see vibrations in color so how people appear i can see the colors so when I look at a person, uh, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a pain in the neck sometimes, Preston. It really is. But when I look at a person, I see the auric field. I see the voice in, in sound, in vibration. And I can see the colors coming from people. And I can actually feel and see whether somebody's actually authentic. And I've been able to do that since I was about five years old. My first memories are at primary school when I was able to see my teacher talking to me in color literally the colors coming from the mouth and as i've got older i've been able to adapt that and to teach that and to share that with people because what i want to do is teach people how to see auras how to see the frequency of the vibration of color so when they actually look at a person they can actually figure out through that the authentic nature of that person and that will primarily eliminate deception because if you can't deceive someone, because it doesn't matter what you say, it's the colors that matter, then people start to become much more aware of what's going on around them. And it becomes a freer, more trusting um, experience to be alive. 
And one of my personal aims is matching where you were there is to teach people how to see those fields, how to see those frequencies, because I believe that knowledge belongs to everyone. It doesn't just belong to one or two. It should be spread and it should be contagious and it should be out there for people. So when you think of it in that way and you look at it in that way, the fact that we're eternal which is an incredible, you said it so matter of fact to me, you said, oh, we're eternal, <laughs> right? That little <laughs> word, right? It's only about that big, isn't it? But the way, you, the way you said it, it's like, that's so massive because if people start to believe that they are eternal, then the possibilities become limitless, which we know is what we are. But if we don't realize that we're eternal, then all the worries, all the fears, all the beliefs, all the structures come round into this reward and punishment system that we seem to have at this present time. So teaching people that they're eternal goes hand in hand with teaching them awareness of vibration and frequency. Yeah. Whenever anyone asks me how old I am, I always get a sly, coy little smile and say, oh, infinity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They look at me like, what? <laughs> That's... But it's true. We are all infinite. That's a, that's a that's a cool thing to think, isn't it? And and to have that knowledge of being infinite is really a broad spectrum of where we are right now, because this is just a little piece of the jigsaw. So with that in mind, what is time? Is time a circle or is it a linear line? How is your perception on time? I think time as we perceive it on Earth being linear is really a product of the three-dimensional plane. And I've had a lot of out-of-body experiences. I wrote a book about my own experiences, putting out another. And when you go out of body, you get a real sense of how time is somewhat of an illusion. Because you will absolutely, if you do astral travel, astral projection, start visiting the past, having visions of the future, clairvoyance. Uh, you know, time and space collapse to a certain degree, the higher you go in terms of the other side. So I feel like time, as we perceive it here, is quite limiting. It's not really how it is. There's more simultaneous simultaneousness. Is that a word? It <laughs> oh. is now. <laughs> <laughs> to, I think, the, the universe and how it's manifesting. Uh, we here on Earth are born with memory loss, tragic amnesia, <laughs> forgetting often, not always, but our past lives. But we're not. We're not born without it. We have it. Yeah. Until the age of about, you know, I've investigated children that have had past life recall to up to seven years, seven years old. It's only when other pursuits, other activities, adult um, education starts to become a part of their consciousness part of their doctrine that these past lives these situations these awarenesses that we have become very very much more like um memories in the fog you know they sort of drift away until they just get enveloped by this big cloud of what we're doing right now so i don't believe that we're meant to be through amnesia from them i think that our human consciousness I totally agree yeah is, yeah is there to recall them and i think that our soul isn't just that one little voice that we have inside of us. I think our soul is millions of voices, all talking at once, all, all communicating, if we choose to listen or to go into that. 
And I'll tell you where that came from for me. When I first um, started to explore this, I was only about 18. Um, it was Ray Wilson. And he talked about the ayahuasca journeys and the, the, the shaman and the ways that they use this root and this leaf just to take themselves into this timeless place where they could have these, um, these experiences out of body. And ayahuasca was the drug of choice that was used by the shaman in the Brazilian forests and the, you know, the Amazonian tribes. So that was a very interesting thing to me to think that we could actually induce that by a different chemical or a different imbalance that we could actually share within our consciousness. So we could go and be timeless, be limitless, be eternal, be infinity if you wanted, and also be able to look at ourselves how maybe we should look at ourselves from outside perspective. Now, have you ever come across this sort of um, experience with people that have um, taken ayahuasca, for instance, and actually enjoyed or had to cope with a journey that would take them into a different dimension or different dimensions of themselves? Oh, yeah, certainly. I've talked to people who've explored that. Uh, this is not something I'm an expert on. I haven't focused my research on that. I honestly don't think that you need to take anything. Uh, meditation alone. I, I started having out-of-body experiences after reading Robert Monroe's books. Okay. And he gave exercises on how to do it. And uh, I didn't use any hemi-sync tapes or anything. I just did it old-fashioned meditation. And that's what I would personally recommend because, you know, you can take all the drugs you want. Uh, but I think ultimately these sort of experiences, out-of-body experiences, past life recall, precognition, remote viewing, healing will unfold naturally on your pathway of spiritual evolution. Okay. I and noticed you didn't mention future lives. <laughs> Yeah, I have experienced that during an out-of-body experience as well. Uh, so that is a thing. And I think um, the important thing to recognize, yeah, is, uh, you know, we think of ourselves as individuals and that we are stuck here in our skin, in our body. But to, uh, honestly, we are one. We are one with the universe. We are an indivisible part of this universe. And when you start having out-of-body experiences, you get a real sense of that. Uh, there's all kinds of talks about different planes, the astral plane and the causal plane, the buddhic plane, the Akashic plane. And uh, the Akashic library is, you know, a, a really interesting concept, idea. Are they concepts? Are they ideas? Or are they actuality? <laughs> yeah, because... <laughs> Uh, yeah, because you know, I mean, a lot of the see this all cuts into where I look at. I see a lot of people talking to me about things like channeling. All right. Yeah. And they say, right, I can pick up the thoughts. Um, there must be billions and trillions of thoughts all coming at us from lots of different planets and lots of different things all happening. And when we have the awareness to understand what's happening, we can recognize it. And I think, well, that's great. That's fantastic. But why don't we have new knowledge being introduced in that way into our society? Because to me, if we could actually understand that new knowledge is the most important thing, not the old knowledge, the old knowledge we've gone down the paths and they're, they're well-trodden, 
and they keep coming back. And I've noticed that people do this a lot. They go back through what's been said and they overanalyze it and then they turn it around and bring it back in their own words. Why isn't there a need for new knowledge? Why don't channelers, people that really channel, and I'm sure that there are people out there that can really channel, why don't they bring in things that we're not aware of? Yeah, well, again, I think it's a process. People talk about spiritual enlightenment and enlightened masters. Um, I think, honestly, spiritual enlightenment is an ongoing, never-ending, infinite process. And that we will continually reach new levels of knowledge when we're ready to leave the old paradigm behind. Uh, you know, My whole worldview changed completely when I was introduced to UFOs as a very young man, 21. But I was very scientifically minded, very much of what I would call a materialist, <laughs> uh, and had to really readjust to a whole new paradigm. And this was all new knowledge to me. And uh, as you continue to study these subjects, as I'm sure you know, <laughs> you think you get a handle on things. And right when you think you've got a handle, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you go down a rabbit hole and you realize, oh, I have a whole new understanding of how the universe functions. So I think it's an honest-to-God process that will never end. And it's a really wonderful thing. Uh, Is, okay. Is there a God? Oh, I think so. I'm, I'm not so sure it's an old man there with a beard sitting on a golden throne, you know, casting people into hell. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, that's me. I'm not personally a religious person, but having been to the other side, having, you know, gone to the light as described by near-death experiencers, uh, having met with what I would call enlightened masters. Uh, you go to the other side where it's composed of light and love, and there's no doubt there's source. There is a, you know, an all mind, as the ETs call it, uh, as a, I mean, an absolute divine energy of love and truth. It's what I love about truth. You can try to hide it. <laughs> You can deny it, but you will never destroy it. It's indestructible. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, isn't it? absolutely. Yeah. Is, I think a god, hundred percent. I'm interested in that last statement. Yeah, I mean, I'm a analytical sort of guy, as you've probably figured out by now. I mean, you talk to ETs for them to tell you what they think. I've had some of my own encounters. Uh, probably not to the extent that people like Dolly Saffron, who I mentioned, have right. a relationship, but absolutely. Yeah, I have seen UFOs. I've gotten messages from them. Some are quite personal. Uh, I've had all kinds of encounters. Uh, I'm not quite at the level of the, a lot of people I've interviewed. And I don't even really want to say that because it's not levels. No one person is spe more special than another. We all come down here to learn certain things my sister is like why don't i have any paranormal experiences <laughs> and, and she laments about it sometimes i'm like well listen you are life is a paranormal experience it's absolutely indescribable and you came down here to learn what you came to learn uh so i don't you know some people say why you know i want to have et contact I'm like well you will remember you are infinite no one ever misses the boat no uh, no, I think personal intent is a really big, you know, thing that we have to be able to understand clearly, and, and that we are limitless and we can do whatever we put our minds to, and that is very clear. 
and very obvious to me in, in many, many ways. But the, the whole aspect of understanding something is different to experiencing something. Because I 100% agree. There's yeah. a huge difference between belief and experiential knowledge. <laughs> totally. And it's the experiential knowledge that takes us through the cutting edge. Because that's what allows us to explore the next thing that we're not even aware of. Because yeah. there's always something we're not aware of. Even through extensive study and extensive interviews and extensive writing books and extensive study of all this stuff, there's always something we're not aware of. Yeah. And when we are aware of it, it opens a new door. Having studied the near-death experiences, which are kind of my sacred books, <laughs> I really love them. Uh, the, uh, the spirits, the angels, you know, the higher evolved souls talk about that. The only thing you really bring away from Earth is love and knowledge, your experience. Okay. That's what's absolutely really valuable to us. We learn, we come here to learn, and we wear that knowledge, and that allows us to take further steps into the great unknown. So and make we so we could actually say the memories we carry with us are the actual gems of what we're doing here on Earth. I think so, yeah. Interesting. What are angels, um, Preston? Uh, I've looked into the literature on angels and interviewed many people because, as you may suspect, it's not just UFOs. Uh, there's all <laughs> I know. this uh, There are people out there who tell me, oh, UFOs are demonic. Don't you know that? Hold on a second. <laughs> And I read everything I could on demonology and talked to people who had horrific hauntings. Uh, yes, angels are real, I think. Uh, I think there's different interpretations of them in different cultures. Your but, interpretation. Yeah, as near as I can tell, these are spirits who have not necessarily incarnated as human beings, but have evolved uh, beyond that. Okay. Or, or are, you know... I've never, you know, I'm, I'm, I have questions, <laughs> no doubt, about what angels are. Yeah. Because I think belief does play a role in how we interpret experiences often. Totally uh, but it's clear to me that there is validity to the angelic phenomena and that there are absolutely divine spirits that come down and rescue and teach. And they're not humans, as we would think of it. They're not people who have died and passed on. This so is the type of entity who is basically interdimensional but not terrestrial correct so they're extraterrestrial which makes some aliens <laughs> well people have tried to you know I, I think it's a mistake to link these phenomena under one phenomena there is sort of a movement in this field which i find quite concerning to put everything under one umbrella and say this is an intelligence that wears different masks Okay. No, 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 no. I don't see that as being at all valid. What I think it is, is that we've only got a limited understanding. And we can only project what we feel from that limited understanding. We haven't stretched to that knowledge of what they really truly are, what they represent, because we haven't quite come into that. We recognize they're there. We sense her there. We have experience with them, but we're not really sure because we've got nothing to fix them on. We've yeah. got nothing to compare them to. Well, there are commonalities between various entity encounters and near-death experiences and Bigfoot and ghosts and angels. 
but I think the real commonality is the fact that they are all part of the universe. They are all source. They are, we are all one to a certain extent. But that doesn't mean that when someone sees a Bigfoot or a ghost or an ET or a fairy or what have you, that this is the same sort of intelligence coming down and wearing a disguise. I don't think that's what's going on at all. Preston, we've hardly got a chance to talk about those things on this particular <laughs> interview tonight. We're, we're coming to the close. We've, we've already done an hour. It feels like five minutes to me. It really does. <laughs> and I would love to talk to you about Bigfoot and about fairies, about all the things, even Mothman and some of the entities and some of the manifestations and all the other things that, that come into those subjects. And I'd love to have you back at some point and we can debate those things and talk about those things and give them the chance yeah, that they deserve, because I don't think we do it justice in, the, in 30 seconds. I think it would be such a shame just to run over them so quickly. It's been fascinating talking with you. It really has. It's been, you know, brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you ever so much. Before we go, all right, there's a couple of things. But I want to ask you one last question. But before that, I want you just to run back through the book that you've just published, um, your website, contact details, so people who listen to the show can get in touch with you if they want to. Please. Hey, thanks, Dominic. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on Twisted and Misunderstood. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, I do have a website, prestondennett.weebly.com. I have a YouTube channel where I'm putting out a lot of my research. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My books are available on Amazon. Symmetry is a bestseller. I'm super excited to hit number one in the UFO <laughs> slot. Congratulations. That's, yeah, <laughs> deserved. You. Very well deserved. That's brilliant. Yeah, I just really appreciate you having me on the show. I think these subjects are so important and uh, really everyone deserves to know about them. Yeah, I think so. And I think that the more that we bring light to them, and that's what I love about doing this show, that's going to evolve into a new show in the, in the new year, which I will be, you know, happy to invite you back onto the new show the the whole aspect of debate only opens people's minds to the possibility and and if we can do that and actually enjoy the process and make it the best process it could ever be the most enjoyable thing to do then i don't think we'll ever stop doing it because it'll just be so much so enjoyable and we can do it into infinity i don't mind we can talk about it for the rest of our existence as long as we keep on discovering and finding and exploring and evolving. And I'm sure that that's what we, we you do. I'm sure I try to, but the actual creation is never to stand still, isn't it? Agreed. Yeah. It's wonderful speaking with you. I thank you again. Thank you, Preston Dunnett. Thank you very much for being my guest this evening. Very nice to have met you. True pleasure. Thank you.